Good morning to each of you this morning in the name of Jesus. Pleasure to be together. Certainly glad for each of the visitors here with us this morning as well. I'm glad you to be here. I'd like to, uh, this morning, take our attention first to the Old Testament and then to the New. There was a thought in the Sunday School lesson that relation to this. Uh, this morning I would like to look at one of the important names, maybe we would say the most important name of Christ, and that is the name Emmanuel. Jesus is referred to by many different names, but I think the name Emmanuel is by far the most meaningful to us because of its sweeping inference to all that Jesus is to us now and for all eternity. I know this is familiar to us. We've heard this many times. But it's like to uh, warm our hearts, allow the Spirit to warm our hearts again this morning as we think about what this really means to us. So first I'd like to look at the Old Testament prophecy and then at the New Testament interpretation. So turn with me first of all to Isaiah 7. Isaiah chapter 7 this is where this is, uh, where Jesus is, or it's prophesied that Jesus would be named this name. Isaiah 7 and verse 14. This is a messianic prophecy dropped into the midst of other prophecies related to Israel, but this was looking forward to a future time of blessing and grace. Verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, <clears throat> the, um, so this prophecy was given, and now the interpretation of this in the New Testament was given about 700 years later. Let's go now to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. And this is a quote or referring back to the prophecy of Isaiah that was given in relation to this and the birth of Christ. So verse 23, Matthew 1, Behold a virgin, well, let's read verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This was uh, spoken to Joseph in, the, in a sleep, and um, as he was, it was revealed to him what this was all going to mean in relation to the birth of this special child. Now, I'd like to think, first of all, what is so special about the name Emmanuel? It says it means God, God with us. So what is, what is special about this to us? And I've read over this many times, and I have to admit that I'm not sure I thought a lot about it till this week. And it really um, was an encouragement to me, and I'd like to pass it on to you. In the perfection of Eden, in Genesis 3 and verse 8, it talks there about God walking with Adam, Adam and Eve, in the cool of the day. God coming and visiting them in the perfection of Eden. 
Now, I sometimes, like you probably do too, we let our imaginations run a bit about what all that would have or could have entailed. You think about the perfection of the Garden of Eden and the perfection of that creation, and you have um, where where God Himself uh, comes and 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 walks with Adam and Eve in the evening, in the cool of the day, or maybe it was early morning. God Himself visiting with them, talking with them. That was a relationship that we look at and we say, that must have been terrific. That must have been marvelous. How could anyone do anything or choose anything that would be, that would mar that? But of course, we look back and we know the whole story. So Adam walked, our God walked and visited with Adam and Eve there in the perfection of Eden. And so that was a part of there, the original state of man in his relationship to his creator, God. Now, another part of this I would like to think about now, and we'll maybe come back to that a little bit later, but Emmanuel indicates that this was now going to be a different presence than ever before. I think that's part of the meaning of this name, Emmanuel, God with us. It's announcing a change. And um, I believe it's a change that was even different than the presence of God in Eden, of course. Because now the coming of Christ into the world and him presenting himself as God... The God-Man, he was he was uh, presenting himself in the midst of a fallen world. Versus when God visited with Adam and Eve, it was in the perfection of Eden. So a big difference, but nonetheless, a visitation of hope. So there is, in a sense, I believe, a change in distance between God and us, or God and mankind in the meaning of this name, God with us. We have Adam and Eve, again going back to that story, driven from the garden, driven out from the presence of God, going out to hoe thistles, as it were, earn their bread by the sweat of their brow, a totally different world, and a totally different relationship with their God. There was still the God in heaven, there was still the fact that they were creatures created by by God, but the relationship had totally changed. And it's interesting, in 1 John 7, verse 17, it says um, there, the law was given by Moses, and we looked at this a little bit in our Sunday school lesson, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so that is, uh, to me, a description of the difference of the relationship under the Old Testament covenant and now what Jesus was going to bring and introduce. You know, the, the fact that the law was given by Moses, and we know what that means on Mount Sinai and all that relates to that. But it says grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. There's a difference. 
And that is I think is also embodied in this whole idea, this name, Emmanuel, God with us. You compare that to Mount Sinai and the terror that was in the hearts of the Israelites is standing there at the bottom of that mountain and the thundering and lightning and the darkness and the earthquakes and just the whole mountain was trembling and it's like a volcano and a tornado and a massive forest fire and, you know, all that combined. Just to help our imagination a little bit. And and they, they, they just said, you know, this is terrible. And it said even Moses, who was very close to the heart of God and knew God face to face, as it were, said, I exceeding, I'm exceeding fearful and trembling in that experience. Well, God led them by the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire by night. We know that, how he led them. So God was there. But God was, was um, relating to them, I would say, in a different way under the Old Testament covenant. That would be some illustrations of that. But now it's Emmanuel, it's God with us. Also another meaning, I think, of this is Emmanuel shows God's intense interest in us. Ephesians 2 and verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. I know that we appreciate, I know that you appreciate your salvation if you're here as a born-again child of God. We, we appreciate that. But I do believe that we many times did not appreciate it enough because we do not always reckon with and understand how fallen we are and how fallen we have been. And neither do we understand always the holiness of God. But I think in, and I think in eternity future, you think about you know the looking back at the provisions and the mercy and the grace of God that was that was there available to us throughout our lives, and looking back across that scene from the perspective of, of eternity, we're going to understand a lot more about the great love of God. When you think about what all he went through and what he did, what he planned to be able to redeem us. It's the great love wherewith he loved us. The very familiar verse, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. And a lot of times we don't put enough emphasis on the word so. He so loved the world. That is part of that provision. Now also thinking right with that, how that this name, Emmanuel, God with us, shows God's intense interest in us. Think about Galatians 4 and verse 4, where Paul was talking about the Old Testament covenant, as well as the, the New Testament covenant. But then he says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law. And in the fullness of time means that there was a timetable that God had specified or planned or was operating on in relation to the coming of Christ. And we can say, well, why did it take so long from the promise of the Redeemer in Genesis 3.16 or Genesis 3.15 
until you get to the coming of Christ, the thousands of years. I don't know why that was. I only know that God knew why it was, and there was a very good reason for it. But Galatians 4.4 there says, in the fullness of the time, and I can picture this, maybe you can too, with me, at some point, when that happened, we can go back and read the results of it, it would seem to me that God the Father looked at Gabriel and said, it's time to go. Tell Zacharias, Zachariah what's going to happen. You remember how that Zacharias was standing there at the altar burning incense in the tabernacle? Or in the temple there? And suddenly realized there was an angel standing on the other side. The angel started talking to him. And you know how that would have been a shock. It was a shock. After all those silent years, 400 silent years, God had not spoken. You can't help but identify a little bit with Zacharias when he said, well, how, how do I know this is, how is this all going to work? What did the angel said? He said, I am Gabriel, who stand in the presence of God, and I'm sent to tell you this. Fullness of time. God spoke. And then about six or seven months later, in our reckoning of time, God must have looked at Gabriel and said, it's time to go tell Mary what's going to happen. Emmanuel, God with us, showing God's intense interest in us. Another part of this, Emmanuel reveals the helpless, hopeless state of mankind. You know, that picture of Adam and Eve being driven from the garden, driven from the presence of God, driven from all the blessings that he had given to them. What a helpless, hopeless situation. Except, of course, there was the promise that there's going to be a redeemer. There's going to be, there's going to be um, a Messiah. But um, in the hopelessness and the helplessness of mankind and the state of mankind, you know, there could only be one avenue of reconciliation. Man could not move back toward God. Adam and Eve could not move back into the Garden of Eden. They couldn't at that point have said, sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Can't we go back? No. The gate was closed. The angels were there guarding it. There was no return. There had to be another way if there was going to be reconciliation. God would need to make the move toward man because man was not in a position to make the move toward God. And that's exactly what he did then in the incarnation. God came down, Christ came down to us because we could not make any move towards him in providing any kind of salvation or, or reconciliation. God had to make the first move. And that's why we have, like in Romans there, it talks about even when yet we were dead in sins, that's Ephesians, but in Romans it's 
You know, yet when we were ungodly, Christ died for us. He died for us before we turned our faces towards him. And so that shows us God with us, Emmanuel, that it reveals the helpless, hopeless state of mankind. Well, Emmanuel also assures us that we are not alone in our world of suffering and grief and loneliness. There'd be other words that we could use to describe the situation in the world this morning. The bloodshed, the cries of little children in torment and suffering and abuse. You just go down the list. The world is a mess. And this is where we're called to live and serve our Lord today in the midst of this. But Emmanuel means that God is with us. God with us. And it's the assurance that we are not alone in our world. He came in the fulfillment of this name, Emmanuel, God with us. He came right into the midst of all the pain and the suffering and the sin. He came to Nazareth, of all places. Just a a little dusty town of a lot of notoriety and of, of wickedness and sin and backwardness. And that's where he was born. Why? Because he came to identify with mankind. God with us is in our state. Not in sin, of course, but he, that's where he grew up. That was his, his, his framework. That's why, um, that's why it was said by Nathaniel there, well, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It was a byword of its day. But that's where God chose to come to make his appearance. There's a reason for that, very clear reason, as I said, to identify with fallen humanity. It was a stumbling block to the rich. It was a stumbling block to the elite, even the the, uh, religious, so-called religious elite of, of that day, a stumbling block to them, but it was on purpose. And you see, we see and we read in the ministry of Jesus how it was the poor. It was those um, outcasts of society that believed and followed him. And many of those masses of people that were there listening to him and experiencing and seeing the miracles was, was the innocent faith that they put in him and accepted him a lot more than many others. It was the poor, the sick. He identified with the publicans and sinners. He was accused of eating with them even. But it's those he came to save. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's who I'm going to identify with us. That's Emmanuel. That's God with us. So every poor person, every suffering person, every struggling person, every sinful person can meet Christ and say, God is with me. God is with us. 
It's, this is how he introduced himself in his hometown. Let's just turn to Luke 4. Luke 4 and verse 16. He had gone about teaching in Galilee and various places. Now in verse 16, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. He came back to his hometown. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath appointed me, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this, this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wonder at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? They failed to fully understand who he was. As Emmanuel, even though they were captivated by his words. But it is interesting here that Jesus introduced himself in this prophetic scripture. Again, back to the book of Isaiah. But he says here that I was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. And we know that that is what he did. And that is, again, also what we do today, our call. And we also notice here that he was said he was called to heal the brokenhearted. And you think about the situations in the ministry of Jesus that illustrate this. Whether uh, we could look at a very um, prominent one at the tomb of Lazarus, you know, there in the death of a friend and in the mourning and suffering of the human heart because of grief and the reality of death, Jesus stood there right with them and his tears, as it were, mingled with their tears in facing the grief and the sorrow. That's Emmanuel. That's God with us when it says Jesus wept. There are many places. You think about the widow there that was walking along behind the coffin of her son, her only son, on the way to the burial. Brokenhearted. Whatever experience mankind faces, and that we can make it more personal, you and I face today, that we would describe describe as brokenhearted. We have Christ as Emmanuel, God with us. It's not just a man with us, 
not a, just a good teacher with us. It's God with us. God with us. He can identify with us and weep with us when we weep. Because he says, I know. He also came to proclaim liberty to the captives. And yes, that may be literally true in relation to captives. I'm sure there's a very literal interpretation of that physically. But I'd like to say probably far more is it liberty to spiritual captives. You think about the men there that Jesus cast out the devils out of, especially that one named Legion because he had many devils bound by sin, bound captive, and yet Jesus set him free. That would be one illustration. There would be a lot of others. Do you think about our lives, your life, my life, the times that we have felt in bondage? You know, whether it's in temptations, the struggle with sin, you know, the, the struggle with attitudes that just feels we can't get victory over. You know, somehow we just feel bound in this. Jesus is saying, I'm Emmanuel. I'm God with you. And that's why he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not just saying that as a good friend. He's saying that as God. God with us. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Jesus came as Emmanuel to set the captives free. And anyone this morning that has not experienced the power of Christ for the new birth experience is still in bondage. Still in bondage. And there's only one way to be freed of that bondage is to look to Emmanuel, God with us, the one who came to set the captives free. We do not need to be captives of sin, captives of the devil, captives of his fate. We can be set free because of Emmanuel. There's also the recovery of sight to the blind. You know, the Pharisees, when, you know, in relation to the blind man and his healing there and Jesus, you know, they were all bent out of shape about that because, you know, he had healed him. And and then uh, Jesus, in talking to them about that, indicated they were blind too. And they took offense to that. They said, well, how are you saying? You say that we're blind? But, you know, just like that blind man, Bartimaeus, you know, we all have been born blind. Again, blinded by sin. But even this morning, you know, in our those who have experienced the work of Christ and salvation, and as we walk in newness of life, there are times we realize that we have been blind to our own needs and our maybe our own struggles and our own insufficiencies. 
And we have to plead again for the opening of eyes to be able to understand ourselves or situations that we don't understand. And so this morning, any of us can struggle with some degree of blindness at times. You know, we're biased toward ourselves. You know, we think we do things mostly right. Can be easy, we can be somewhat easily offended if someone would indicate that we're not doing something right because of being blind to our own needs, our own weaknesses. But this morning, Christ came, God with us, to give us clear eyesight, to understand his truth for us. Also to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Another part of this prophecy related to Christ, God with us, is those who are oppressed. There'll be all kinds of things we could think about with that. There may be situations in our lives that we feel oppressed. We wish that the, the circumstances would be different or the plan of God would be different and maybe we struggle with you know, certain things and, and uh, not you know, maybe having the freedom or that we wish we had. Jesus Christ came to give us calmness, submission, and surrender of heart to his will. That is one of the things he came to give. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. And it says he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, the dawning of a new era for this world's sighing, sobbing masses. Prophet Isaiah said, there of God, he said, I look for judgment, but behold a cry. And I think today, you know, when God is looking for judgment, in other words, truth and vindication across the world, what he hears is the cry of the human heart, the cry of oppression. And that's why I would describe it as the world's sighing and sobbing masses. The hopelessness of mankind without God. But he said, I came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Salvation, to offer that to all mankind. He presented himself as the answer to all the ills that torment us. God with us. He gave us everything he could or would and all that we need. Himself, creator God, came into human flesh and presented himself to mankind. And whether we think of these ills as it were in a physical sense or a spiritual sense, you know, the, the Christ is still the answer. And it's still God with us. He is here to meet those needs, whatever they are. Jesus would do all these things through providing salvation and changing the heart of men. And I thought of this in relation to so much emphasis on societal change and, you know, fixing the ills of society and whether it's in government or organizations. And I think that, you know, yes, it is true. We are to go out and to help and to, to, uh, to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. And all those things are part of us serving, serving Christ. 
but when you think about you know what much of the world is trying to do is to give them some more money and give them a little better education and a little better house to live in and and then you know they're going to be better people that's not what Christ came to do Christ came to change society by changing men's hearts and in salvation we know that that's what happens his answer for the ills of society is a change from the inside out. Emmanuel also presents to us the truth that his first coming is testimony to his second coming. We can almost look at it this way, that Christ came to tell us. I mean, okay, he came to provide salvation, all of that, we know that. But in all of that, he came to tell us also that he's coming again. He didn't tell us he's coming again from heaven. He came to tell us that he's coming again on earth, standing beside us. I think that's significant. Emmanuel, God with us. And the fact that he came then to tell us means, or gives us the reassurance, and the blessed hope that he will return. In other words, he says to the world, I'm here. I came, and I'm telling you that I'm coming again. He was here when he told us, yes, I'm going to go away for a time, but then I'm going to come back again. I'd like to go back to one more scripture now. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, and notice verse 2. I'm not going to read, well, I can read verse 1. It's the prophecy we looked at, and Jesus read it there in his hometown in Nazareth in the synagogue. Verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that's where he stopped. He stopped right there. What does the rest of that say? And the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus didn't say that, or did not read that in the synagogue that day, because that was yet future. He said, when he read down to that sentence and stopped, he said, this today is fulfilled in your ears. Right in front of you, this is being fulfilled. I believe that the day of vengeance of our God was yet future. And Jesus stopped, he didn't say that at that point. That was going to become later. He did not add the rest of the words from Isaiah because the purpose of his first coming was to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, now is the time of salvation. Now is the opportunity. Now you have the opportunity to know and to meet your God. 
in Emmanuel. The present is this accepted time for salvation. And when he comes again to earth, in the second time, it will be the rest of this scripture. When he says, and the day of vengeance of our God. That will be the ultimate fulfillment of Christ's both comings, the both times he comes to earth. If you think about that, you know, now is the acceptable time. And that is spoken of as a year. Verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But, when you read in verse 2, the last part of that verse, the day of vengeance of our God, the opportunity for salvation is referred to as a year. The day, or the vengeance of our God is referred to as a day. I don't know what all significance is in that. I'm sure it's not written there by Without, without meaning. You know, there's the opportunity for salvation that is extended to mankind to a point, but there will be a day when he's going to judge the world, and it will be all over. He will not come again as a little baby in a manger. We think about Christmas time, and so many people think about Christ. They don't mind many people commem- commemorating or thinking about the idea of Christmas and Christ in a manger, you know, as the Prince of Peace. But he will not come again as a a babe in the manger. He will come again as the conquering King of Kings, leading the armies of heaven. And um, as judge of all those who rejected his provision of salvation, when the year expires, as it were, the day comes. When the year of grace, when the year of the acceptable provision of God, when that, when that is over, that year expires, then the day comes. This, I think, is why the question posed in a song that we sing sometimes is such a monumental question to every person. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. One day your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? Those phrases sum up this whole thought of the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. What will I do with Jesus today when I have opportunity? In that year, as it were, prophetic year of opportunity, and grace compared to what he will do with me if I reject that. I believe this morning that if we really love and appreciate the true meaning of Christmas, we will not be able to help ourselves like Thomas. Remember, he was doubting there and he wasn't sure, you know, how this would all was all and is this really real? And when Jesus showed him his side and his hands, What did Thomas say? 
He, he didn't even, Jesus said, touch me and see, you know, I'm not a spirit. And Thomas didn't need to touch him. He just looked at him and said, my Lord and my God. You think about the meaning of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. I just want to encourage us this morning, in this whole Christmas time and a lot of ado being made, but let's in our hearts treasure this. Emmanuel, God is with us. And you think about the world and the situation, and we don't, you know, all the unknowns and what's going to happen in, in 2024, and you just think, think about all this. That's okay, that's okay. God is with us. Emmanuel. And he will see us through. And so this morning, let's, let's treasure this. In closing, I just like to think about, you tie this all together from Genesis 3 all the way through the coming of Christ to the end of the age. Revelation 21, 3 to 5, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Talk about this whole idea of Emmanuel and the coming of Christ to the ultimate purpose of God for us. When God's going to realize the blessing of his creation, us, when he originally created mankind, and finally for all eternity, he says, God's going to dwell with him. God's going to dwell with man. He's going to be forever with us, and we're going to be forever with him. And it's going to be a different world. It's going to be a world that we cannot imagine. He said, I'm going to make all things new. Isaiah, book of Isaiah, chapter 66 says, and it's going to be so new and so different that the former will not be remembered. I don't understand all that, but we just accept that. It's going to be so perfect and such blessing that God's going to dwell among men. He's not going to just come down and visit with us like he did Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. He's going to live with us, and we're going to live with him. That's the ultimate purpose of Emmanuel, God with us today to prepare us for that opportunity for all eternity. Let's treasure that. Let's live the way God wants us to live so that we can experience that. Let's kneel to pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for all that you've planned and all that you've done to be able to provide us with Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we know we live in a very uncertain world We all recognize, Father, that we're living at the end of the age when all of these things could just wrap up very quickly and we could see our Lord descending from heaven. Help us, Father, to be ready, to be looking, 
But also in the meantime, while we're here and living and working in this world, give us faith, give us courage, give us that stability of heart, regardless of what we face in difficulties, in pain, in sorrow, in grief, in loneliness, in uncertainty. Give us grace, Father, like you promised to see us through. And we thank you for our Lord Jesus that he is with us and walks with us, encourages us, speaks to our hearts. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you all also have given to us to indwell us, empower us, and give us all that is needed to live in victory. Father, bless each of us, whatever struggles we face, whatever the battles are, you understand and you know because you are here with us. And we thank you for that. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.